Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. So this is fun. We're doing a special program talking about modern language, multilingual integration, and uh, on the special day of International Mother Language Day. And when it comes to multilingual education, the first thing that comes to mind is my memory of my classmates in primary school. There are a few classmates uh, who, you know, their parents have told them not to speak the local dialect. We had a strong dialect. But these kids, they, they come to the, the school, they talk to us. Instead of all in our own local dialect, they speak very good Mandarin. And at that point, I was feeling, well, these kids are weird. That's and, me. And pretentious. That was that, me when I was, was a kid. That was you, Yes, I was, I was that kid. I did not know how to speak my local dialect till this day. I understand when parents and uh, members in the family speak the local dialect, but I do not know how to do that. And when I try to imitate them because I am older now, I do not have the talent anymore, I sound weird. That is why actually standard Mandarin is my mother tongue. Okay. Why did uh, your parents choose for you to uh, speak uh, Mandarin instead of the local dialect? I mean, that is the funny thing. Uh, they didn't actually say anything like you should not be speaking local dialect, only Mandarin, but they didn't also specifically speak local dialect to me. They only speak it to each other. And when they speak to me, they use standard Mandarin. So I didn't really have the opportunity to try it out. That is not only the role of my parents, it's also my grandparents, relatives and the families. But I think during that period of time, or at least for me personally, the trend at that time was to promote or to support me to learn better standard Mandarin instead of my local dialect. So the whole family conspired to only speak uh, Mandarin to <laughs> yes, you instead of yes, the local dialect yes. or your mother language. So this is, this is interesting. Uh, New Holy, you were born in the late 1980s mm. and, and sort of coinciding with the development of the country's economy after the reform and opening up. So there's uh, plenty of opportunities coming in coastal regions where people can travel and go there to look for good employment opportunities and development opportunities. As such, I think this somehow uh, inspired people to see the great big world out there in comparison to the small county where I was brought up. And uh, we didn't used to think that maybe we could travel elsewhere and then just find a job. But in the late 1980s and 1990s, because of the reform and opening up, people think, oh, there's a vast opportunity out there that as long as you can speak the language and blending with the culture, then uh, you can make a whole different kind of life uh, out there. So this is what's happened uh, in China. I mean, China being a big country where people in different parts of the country speak different dialects. Uh, we, as such, we see that opportunity. In South Korea, Steve, this is a different story, but on a uh, on a higher level in the sense that uh, it's, a, it's a country. South Korea is a country, but it has its own language. I wouldn't say dialect. It has its own language. But in perhaps in seeking uh, opportunities elsewhere, uh, do you observe the same kind of pattern of parents demanding their children to speak very good English or any other foreign language as compared to their own uh, mother language or, or even dialect? Oh, I have a lot to say about this topic, and not only based on my experience here in Korea, but also if I can start with my story in Canada. You know, my father uh, was a high school vice principal and English teacher for 34 years. 
and uh, me being from Nova Scotia, from the east coast of Canada, we have our own dialect there as well. And if you look even further east to the province of Newfoundland, they have a very strong dialect there. In fact, the dialect is so strong uh, in Newfoundland that I remember watching the news when I was a kid and watching stories from Newfoundland, and they would put English subtitles Hmm. on the stories when they were already speaking English. Yes, similar things happen to me uh, when I'm watching local news at home, Shenzhen province as well. Oh, is that right? Hmm. Um, So so my father um, told me when I was young, you know, when I was speaking in the Nova Scotia Canadian dialect, um, which was just a natural thing for me to do because that's how, um, you know, most people speak. But he told me when I was young, he said, I don't want you to talk like that. I said, talk like what? He said, using that Nova Scotia East Coast accent. And I said, why not? He said, I don't want to limit your opportunities in the future. And um, I've been on the radio for a long time here in Korea. And one of the things that I've heard a lot is that people say, I can't tell if you're Canadian or American because you don't really have an accent. Now, if you pay close attention, my Canadian accent does indeed come out from time to time, and I'm proud of that. But that was a point that my dad had um, when I was young, Liming, speaking to what what you were uh, just talking about a moment ago. That's what he said. I don't want to limit your opportunities in the future. And having a strong dialect may, may or may not, but it may um, do that in, in your future. Do you mind demonstrate your dialect for one or two sentences? Yeah. Oh, how's she going by? She's a good day to be getting out. What? <laughs> <laughs> now, if you can tell me what I said, I will pay your salary for one year. <laughs> this is really eye-opening. I mean, uh, for uh, language learners, English learners uh, here in China, we could only uh, easily understand the, the proper English, the standard English. I mean, we we know of certain accents in, in Britain, you know, Australia, uh, Scotland, but we we weren't aware of uh, regional dialect in Canada. In fact, sure, sure, just a mini lesson. Uh, Wa means like, isn't it? At the end of a sentence, so it's a nice day, isn't it? You can say it's a nice day. Wa. Mm-hmm. Ah. But now you, that you are older, do you feel the same way as I do? Because uh, when I travel home, when I struggle with the right word or the right idiomatic phrase to express my feeling in the context of the family in my hometown, I sometimes feel ashamed and regrettable that I missed that education. I'm not a master of my own uh, mother tongue and as such. Um, do you feel that way? I mean, having spent... Uh, 20 years, more than 20 years in radio, having spoken standard English on air for that many years. No, I don't think so. And, you know, being Canadian and, um, you know, we have such a diverse population in the country, um, you know, growing up and listening to various types of English accents, because I forget the exact statistic, but something along the lines of... um, it's only 50% of, of the Canadian population that are native English speakers, um, which we take pride in. You know, that's one of our, that's one of our badges of honor, so to speak, as Canadians. But what, what I mean by that, you know, growing up speaking English in Canada, but living in such a diverse country, that means you have the opportunity to see English spoken with a variety of accents from people 
who did not speak English as their first language, who either immigrated to Canada and learned it as a second language or speak a, another language in their home. And then when they come out into public, then they then they use English. So, no, I've grown up, you know, when I grew up, I, I listened to lots of various different dialects and accents. And so to be honest with you, for me personally, um, I've never put that much thought into it. And my Canadian accent doesn't come out too often unless I'm playing ice hockey. And then all of a sudden, it's just full on, full on that. And whenever I traveled to my to my hometown. Yeah, I think accent is one thing. But here in China, again, it's a vast country with people from different backgrounds and growing up in different places. And we have the saying, 十里不同风,百里不同俗, basically meaning that after around 10 miles, maybe you would be... Uh, immersed in a completely different type of way of living, different rituals, different customs, and different dialect and different accent. So in that situation, are you talking about not being able to understand them when they speak? In Canada, that's not what I'm talking about. But is that what you mean when you travel to different parts of China, they're like, even though it's Mandarin... It's you, possible. You can't understand them. Really? It's possible because, for example, during my university time, when my roommates call their family, I cannot understand what they're talking about at all. I mean, really? yeah, it's uh, they're definitely using still the Chinese language. They are definitely still writing in Chinese. Yet when they talk to each other, I do not know what they're talking about. And actually here in China, we have 100, over 130 types of dialects and accents and basically language. Languages. And we have, of course, on top of Mandarin, we also have Cantonese. I grew up in the northern part of the country. So when I travel in the southern part, when local people talk to each other, I mean, they would speak Mandarin to me so I can understand. But when they talk to each other, 100%, I do not know what they're talking about. I would struggle with understanding a person who lives about 100 miles away from my hometown. It's a different mountain, wow. it's a different set of mountains and a different yeah. set of villages, and they speak an right. entirely different language because of and, the history. And that's, in, well, not just the history, but the geography as well, because those mountain, that mountain range would mean that it wouldn't have been easy, historically speaking, for one town's population to reach or to communicate with another town's population. And that kind of isolation would have led to the creation and probably the prolonged existence of of that dialect from that town. So geography plays a part too. Right, right. And Steve, you mentioned earlier as someone who speaks English and, and proper standard English, uh, is has allowed you to be able to communicate with people from different cultures who also speak the same language. I mean, this is a benefit that we enjoy as people who speak a language that's being shared by a large population. The same happens to people here in China who speak Mandarin. They will be able to walk around the country, if not uh, internationally, in Chinatowns across <laughs> around the world. Mm -hmm. But this is a benefit <laughs> of a language that shares a lot of uh, speakers around the world. But can you imagine yourself, let's say, growing up in a small island nation on the coast of India, perhaps, uh, like the country of Sri Lanka, and then perhaps other small languages in Central and Eastern Europe, and even South Korea? I mean, you've been living there for more than 20 years. And can you imagine what's going on in their mind? I mean, if they somehow have been compelled to learn a different language in order to be able to communicate with people from different cultures, at the cost of that, maybe they have foregone 
on experience in or education in their own language, maybe they will feel the same way as I do right now, going back home and not being able to use the most uh, lively phrase to communicate with my folks. Um, do you think that that's a that's a regret? Um, it's an interesting question, and I think it depends on your perspective. And I can use South Korea as an example here because. Um, Seoul is the capital of the country, and people, uh, Seoulites, they use a very, I don't know if they call it standard Korean or if there's a particular term for it, but I think they call it maybe Seoul Korean. And the intonation of Seoul Korean is very, um, almost monotone in, in a way. Whereas in Busan, where I'm living now, um, it's really quite interesting, and I talked about this um, just just to maybe a couple of months ago, there's a there's a strong Busan dialect here in the city, and I noticed in my experience of living here, when I speak with older people from Busan, I hear the dialect a lot, but when I speak with young people from Busan, maybe twenties, thirties, I don't hear the dialect at all. I hear the Seoul dialect, the the Seoul monotone style of speaking. So I actually brought this up and I asked someone who had lived here for a very long time, um, was my observation correct or is it just that they see me as a foreigner so they assume I won't understand the Busan dialect so they just kind of, you know, dumb it down for me or, or <laughs> change their tone for me. They, and they said, no, no, no. Young people in Busan now, they don't want to use the old dialect anymore mm. because they don't see it as modern or uh, I don't know what the term is, maybe future forward, or they see it as an old, uh, something connecting them to the past. And um, South Korea is, is a country that's always moving forward with technology and the cities are always changing and culture is constantly changing as well. But I mean, even in a smaller country like South Korea, the younger generation, uh, if we can use Busan is kind of a cross-section or a petri dish, if you will, to look at the whole country. Younger people don't want to be using their local dialects anymore. Which is uh, alarming in the sense that if younger people no longer speak the language that their mothers spoke, then perhaps, you know, um, you know, language can be a, a carrier of, of culture, uh, can be a carrier of, of tradition, and a lot of valuable, intangible things that comes with it. I mean, some uh, even wisdom that comes with it. Certain phrases only exist in certain dialects or languages. Uh, when you don't speak the language, you so, somehow lose the the most accurate and the most uh, vivid and lively way to to make that idea across. So it's if we don't use the language, then perhaps it's a loss. Which is why UNESCO appointed. Uh, the International Mother Language Day, and uh, which was adopted by the UN General Assembly, uh, which underscores the role of language in promoting inclusion and achieving sustainable development goals. And another point in history where technology may play a part in shaping our language and in shaping the way we treat our language and our mother tongue, and that is uh, with the assistance of AI, artificial intelligence. Uh, some might say it's much easier. Uh, for us to learn a different language other than our mother tongue. Some would say, in fact, artificial intelligence can be a very good venue to preserve a mother tongue uh, spoken by a very small population. Uh, what's your take on this? 
I don't know if you saw the new, the newest phone from the um, major Korean conglomerate, the S24, it's called, with the real-time AI translator. You know, if if I was speaking with Yu Lai Ming on the phone, you could be speaking in Mandarin or standard standardized or simplified Chinese. I could be speaking in English. And when I, you could speak Chinese into the phone and I would hear English on the other end. It's, a, it's an amazing advancement in technology, but there's a concern there for me. And what I thought about when I first heard that news was, oh, okay, this is very cool. But what's going to happen with language study in the future? What's going to happen with me being inspired to learn Chinese or Korean or French or any other language from any other culture around the world? Because it's not going to be necessary. If we now have the technology available to translate things for us in real time, either in person or on the phone, well, it's going to make business deals a lot easier. It's going to make travel a lot easier. But if we think of it from a different perspective, I think language study in the perhaps not so distant future might be something that falls by the wayside. And that kind of makes me sad for some reason. I don't know why that's my emotional <laughs> response, but it, but it does make me sad. Well, I have concerns as well, but not that far away. My concerns actually lies in between the current situation and the ideal situation you described where artificial intelligence can basically translate everything for everybody. Because to start with, let's say if we want to use AI as a tool to protect local dialect or local accent, the very first thing is, I'm not really sure what's the logic behind it. Can it include or install all the different dialect, the kind of language that is only a spoken language with out characters. What is artificial intelligence way of building a database for a certain language that only has sounds, only is a spoken language, a language that is basically using standard Mandarin Chinese as the characters, but with all these different kinds of words formed with only sounds, but not even specific characters. It confuses me to begin with. Not to mention that artificial intelligence will need really large amount of data to analyze, to create its very own algorithm, to understand the logic, or at least being able to, quote unquote, use the language properly. And also, when a language is being spoken, it also evolves. I remember when I was in middle school, young kids create new sounds. They create new words and that mm. when they start using it, when it's popularized, and that word is like a tiny little new cell or even a new organ grown on the original language. And that's how a language stays alive. But if we, let's say we can successfully put all the current um, signs, sounds, uh, words, and characters into artificial intelligence and let it understand it and without actively still using it. Is it preserving it or just putting it into a language museum and just freeze it in that state forever? So there are a lot of interesting things that we can discuss as well as observe how it will develop. Yeah, I mean, I think you make excellent points where the, mod the, mo the most modern technology would be like 
a modern day museum for things that soon aren't to exist anymore, uh, but will live on the software. But just one final point I wanted I wanted to make like that uh, on that topic, and I, I guess it's not really what we're talking about. This may be a different topic for a different day, but I feel like human beings are kind of always looking for for ways to divide our ourselves either on the international stage or locally and an easy <laughs> example of that would be sport right um when china plays in the national stage or the international stage then you cheer for china but when you bring it to domestic sports matches then you cheer for your local team so we always look for ways to divide ourselves and if we don't have to learn this is the point i wanted to make if we don't have to learn each other's languages in the future, that means we're not learning each other's cultures. We're not as curious to learn about other people, where they came from, their history, who they are as, as individuals, because there will be no reason to learn their language in the future if we have things like automatic translation and AI doing all the work for us in the in the future. That's one of my big concerns. Individual well. efforts do matter. I mean, when politicians come to visit a different country and they show that they can speak the native language, it may just be a few sentences or a few lines. Uh, people appreciate that effort. Mm. Uh, then with the assistance of technology, when people no longer have the necessity to, uh, to learn a different language, uh, the input is not there the input is also not appreciated, then I think technology only helps to divide us uh, more. And also with regard to the protection of uh, mother tongues that are spoken by a relatively small number of people, there is the issue of the technology monopoly. I mean, currently uh, the top developers of AI are either in the West, in the English-speaking world, or in China. Again, we are in an advantaged position. But imagine people who are in a relatively small country. They are not as populous. They're not as developed. They certainly don't have the capacity and know-how to have the cutting-edge AI language model. That would disadvantage them even more in the protection mm -hmm. of their own language and in the protection of their own culture. Uh, as such, I think... It's something that we need to look out for uh, when leaders, state leaders come together to discuss the issue of uh, global governance with regard to AI. Gosh, we sound so old right now, don't we? <laughs> this new technology is terrible, <laughs> but it's also amazing at the same time. I think we just have to make sure that we preserve the things that are important to us as a global community continue to move forward into the future. And mm. I think. And, and who would know? Actually, the theme of this year's International Mother Language Day is multilingual education is a pillar of integrational learning. Maybe artificial intelligence can be a really good way of education. In that sense, it's definitely going to help rather than hinder. Right. At no, the end of the day, no is is the language that your mother speaks, and is is the link between you and your mother, and perhaps generations before you. And uh, remember, individual efforts do matter. And if not helping you with more opportunities out there, it makes you feel more at home when you're among your own folks. 